This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're just going to be in verse 12 and 13. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. If you'd go ahead and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you um, just for the goodness and the mercy that you've shown us this week. We thank you for the ways that you've given us to be able to serve, um, for the ways that you've given us um, to be able to, to just soak in your goodness. And we ask that as we turn to you and your word today, that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our minds, um, and that you would change us, that you would shape us into people that are more like you, that love you more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think it was third grade, third grade, um, whenever in Mrs. whatever's class, you can tell how good my memory is at this point, um, we decided to do this program where people from the community would come in and talk about their jobs, right? Any of your classes ever do this? Any of your schools ever do this? So you sit in class and in comes a firefighter. Stands up and he's like, I slide down a pole and I throw water at burning buildings and I rescue kittens from trees, right? Stuff like that. Um, wonderful. Or the policeman would come in, you know? I drive around with the sirens and I catch the bad guys and I get to carry the gun. Want to see it? You know? Exciting. Well, we went through a series of those. Um, in, in our class was even the mayor's son. So the mayor showed up in class and was like, I'm the mayor, I call the shots in this city of 300,000 people, right? It was wonderful. And then one week, uh, a kid named Ben brought in uh, his uncle, who was a preacher, right? So we'd had the firefighters, we'd had the police, and like the mayor himself shows up in the room and then comes this guy and he says, I'm a preacher at a church. And I thought that was about the lamest thing that I had ever heard. And I don't know, like, I remember so little of my elementary school years, but I distinctly remember whenever he got up and he's like, I'm a preacher, and he did his little 10-minute spiel. At the end of it, the teacher's like, does anybody have any questions, you know? I just didn't raise my hand. I didn't ask a question. I just said something along the lines of, why would anybody ever want to be a preacher? That sounds really stupid. Like, that's really dumb. That sounds like the worst thing ever. Why would anyone... And my, my teacher was just mortified. Like, I remember the look on her face where she just... Don't eat, shut up, right? Um, and I don't know if, like, that's the moment that, like, you know, God was like, oh, you're going to get it, boy, Right? Um, but I do know that even back then, I thought, man, this whole leading a church thing is for the birds. Like, what is it that you do? Is it important? It doesn't seem so. I'd rather be the mayor, right? And so today in our text, um, we're getting into um, the relationship of pastors to their church and vice versa. What is it to be a church leader? Um... What are, the, what are the standards that me and Rich, your pastors, are held to? 
what does God call you um, like as a congregation to how to view church leadership? That's what we're talking about today. And so um, we're going to do this basically in two parts. We're going to talk about first the responsibilities of pastors. So in these two verses, we get three, at least three responsibilities that pastors have. So we're going to talk about that in the first part. And then the second part, we're going to talk about kind of the response of people in a church family to their pastors. Like how should they view? And there's three things there as well. So we're going to walk through those, and at the end, maybe we'll come up with some conclusions. All right, so let's start with the three, responsibility of the, three responsibilities of the pastor. Um, we'll put verse 12 back up on the screen, and we're probably just going to leave it there for a while, just to kind of have in front of us. And so I'm going to read this again. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so we'll come back to the word respect here in a little bit, but we, we notice in this passage that Paul is referring to a certain group of people that do three different things. And the first one that he says is that there are those who labor among you. So if you picture in your mind like that, that stereotypical image of a church leader, what do you think of? Do you think of someone who labors? Is that word appropriate in your mind? Like I acknowledge that for some of us we'll say yes because maybe we've been around churches or we've been in like pastors' families and we've known like these guys work and they work and they work and they work and they get called at all hours of the night and, and you know, I've heard a lot of pastors' kids say, you know, where do I fit in to this because they're always gone? Um, and so maybe we hear the word labor and we think, Oh, yeah, that, that sounds right. But for some of us, maybe the image we have of pastors is like that guy who saunters in on Sunday, like says some flowery words, and then goes back to watching baseball all week, right? They only work one day a week, and most of the time they get everybody else in the church to do their dirty work. And so some of us have that image. Or maybe we have an even worse image of like the dude that shows up on TV you know, on channel 25 at the end of, the, end of the spectrum. And he's like, send me your money that you might be blessed, right? And so he films a two-hour little sit-down talk and then, you know, rides his boat back to his private island later in the week. And so whenever we think of the word labor, for some of us, we think, no, no. But here we have it, like the truth, what God has called pastors to is labor. And so as Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, he's saying, you know, look at the church leaders among you, the pastors among you, the ones who labor, who toil. Um, you have the sense of, the, of, of struggle in that. So that the work that a pastor is supposed to do is one of struggle and toil. You might ask what kind of toil, what kind of struggle. And I think the key to knowing the kind of struggle that they have comes in the second part of the laboring. Respect those who labor what? What's the next part? Among you. What makes it labor? What makes it toil? You do, right? I do. The reason that it's hard to be a pastor, um, the reason that it's a high calling to be a pastor is because we 
every single one of us, because recognize I got a pastor too, right? Um, we're all sinners, and we're all weak, and we're sometimes selfish, and we go our own way. And if your goal is to take broken people and help them to love Christ more, to help them to know God more fully, that's going to be filled with like potholes that you're going to hit going 100 miles an hour. It's filled with hard nights. Pastors are to labor, and they're to labor among the people. So that also tells us something else, right? That a pastor who is not among his people, right, isn't really a pastor. So if all I ever do is get up here and stand in front of you on a Sunday, like this is just real life. If I show up on a Sunday having, you know, like sat in my office all week, you know, figuring out my little Jesus stuff, and then I just say some words, and I never, you never see me, you never hear from me, I don't know you, you don't know me. It tells you something about what a pastor is, what a pastor is called to, and what their labor is supposed to look like. So a pastor is responsible to labor, to work hard, if you have an NIV translation, and to do that among the people, to not be afraid to get dirty out in the mess of the world. That's the first responsibility. The second responsibility is mentioned just a little bit further. So there, there, there are those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. They're over you in the Lord. Now, in that term, over you, um, there are two kind of emphases that go along with that. There's one um, that is the governance aspect. And so pastors are called to be overseers of a congregation, which means they stand not like, you know, like as they're the lords of the congregation, but they stand to where they can see the people, see where everyone is at, and try to have a big picture idea of how do I help this group of people to grow, right? And so it takes like big picture viewing and some skills to be able to say, I know this group of people needs this, I know this group of people needs this, and this is how I as a person can help them meld together towards goals, right? And so whenever I say that being over, pastors being over a congregation means governance, that's what I'm talking about. So if our goal as a church in Jefferson City is to be a healthy church for us all as a group to grow, but also to reach out into the community, then that means part of me like governing or part of Rich governing the church as pastors is to see big picture what our goals are and then to know you enough personally that we can help you to grow towards the goals, your personal goals and the goals of the church. And so there definitely is a governance aspect to this idea of being over. But there's also another aspect, and that's that of protection. So some of your translations might say something, they're given care over you. The word here is not just used for governance, but it's used for protection. 
the idea that pastors have a responsibility to keep the congregation safe insofar as they can. That means safe from false doctrine. Like There are things that some people believe that are blasphemous, that, 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 that God hates, that he really does hate. Pastors are called to protect the people. And then there's also the sense that sometimes we just get off kilter. Like, can anybody, like, has anybody just had a season in their life where they're just like, I'm not me right now? Like, I'm just not, <laughs> I'm not the best me, certainly, right now. I'm just off. And so sometimes the protection aspect means that pastors get right down on the ground level whenever we're not ourselves to help us to recognize that and to help us plot a way out of it. Pastors are responsible to be over the church for governance and protection. But they're to do so, again, notice the next phrase, in the Lord, right? And so the term over you, if some of you like kind of like bristle at that with the idea that, oh, somebody's over me, what do you mean somebody's over me? Does that mean I'm under them, right? Some of you may bristle at that um, as if the term over you means that pastors are somehow like this inherently better class of people, right? So how are all you plebeians doing down there in the low seats, right? Have you basked in my glow lately? You know, like there's, I'm, I exaggerate there. But you get what I'm saying? Like, we can hear that word over you as if, um, as if we're elevating people in the church to a higher class of people. Over you does not mean better than you. Do you hear me on that? I am no better than any of you. And those of you who know me, like, you know that. <laughs> you know that. You're like, you're not telling me anything, Tony, right? Rich. Um, is not better than you, and neither of us believe that we are. If you remember last week, we talked about what servanthood means in the church. And if you remember, we told the story of Christ talking to his disciples, and he basically says, don't be like the leaders in the world. Be like me, and I'm one who comes here and serves. Last week, we talked about how every part of the body, every person in the body has a function, has a place, and is of equal importance. So over you does not mean better than. And the, the phrase in the Lord gives us a key to this. It gives us a picture. And the picture is this. God goes out into the world, like with the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, and he finds individuals from various walks of life, right? Me in my own state, you in your own state. Some people are rich, some people are poor, some are black or white, Jew, Greek, slave, free, if we look through the first century. God goes out and he finds all these people in all these places with all these different experiences, and he knows that each one of them is a sinner, and each one of them is rebellious, and each one of them is lost, and so he has a rescue plan. He sends Christ to teach them, to die for them, to be a sacrifice for their sins. 
so that they can be forgiven. And he takes all these broken parts and he starts pulling them together and knitting them together in a family. Right? And then within that family, he gives gifts. Some people are good at this. Some people are good at that. And among the gifts that he gives are gifts of leadership. And so God draws a family together. And then for the governance and protection of that family, he appoints leaders in the church. And ultimately, like that's why we have qualifications in the scripture for what leaders have to meet. Because it's not just this, about the strongest personality. It's not just about the people who are the best at public speaking or the best at counseling. God establishes leaders. He draws a family together and builds it up. And so pastors are not over the congregation by their own merit, right? Because they themselves are just super awesome. They're over the congregation in the Lord. Like, as he's drawn us all together. And so they're responsible to be over the congregation. The third thing that we see that pastors are responsible for is right here at the tail end of the, the verse. So they, um, they, they labor among you. They're over you in the Lord. And then they admonish you. So perhaps this has become increasingly uncomfortable for us as we've talked about it. Um, if we talk about pastors like laboring, working hard among us, I think we can all go, yeah, that sounds good, right? Our leaders should work hard. No problem with that. And then we, we say, well, there's this whole idea that they're over the group, that they're over the church in a sense. And we can be like, well you know, with our rebellious American spirit, right? Okay, I can see how it's reasonable that the church needs leaders. Like, it, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes, but okay, you know. But then we get to this word, <clears throat> admonish. And this is where it gets personal. This is where it gets harder for us as we sit under church leaders. What does admonish mean? Let's start there. This is not a word we use a lot in everyday language. I don't just go up to, like, Tony, you know, at breakfast and say, hey, brother, I'm here to admonish you today. Like, we don't use the word. So what does it mean? It simply means this. <clears throat> Admonishment is instruction. So it's like teaching that I give that is specifically a, a correction or it's, it's like a warning. And so I'm giving teaching but I'm giving teaching that is to scare you away from some area in which you're wrong, right? Now, we're going to see in the next verses that admonishment uh, of one another is a call given to all Christians, and so we'll talk about our mutual responsibility in this next week. But pastors are especially called to admonish the people in the church by God. Um. <laughs> Some pastors find this very easy, <laughs> right? Uh, some pastors find it very easy to go to folk and be like, you're doing it wrong, and let me list out the entire detailed process of how you're doing it wrong. Um, some find it really, really hard. I'm probably more in the second category. 
which is why for those of you I have admonished, I've probably like beat around the bush for about an hour and a half, right? Trying to somehow spiral down and get there. Um, admonishment can feel harsh when we receive it, but it's for our healing and for our good, and God calls pastors to give it. You may ask, well, what is it supposed to look like? We have one big example in the New Testament um, where literally we have like a, some teaching and then Paul directly says, this is admonishment. Um, there's, admonishment is all throughout the New Testament, but there's an explicit case. It's in 1 Corinthians. I thought about reading it to you, but it, it happens over the course of a couple chapters, so I'm not going to read you the entire section. But this is the gist of it. The Corinthian church which is another church um, that Paul ministered to in the same area as Thessalonica. Uh, in fact, Paul probably wrote the letter to the Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. So later he leaves Corinth, he writes another letter, and he's found out that the church in Corinth has started to become a little divisive. Does anybody have, like, their favorite sports hero, right, get in debate? Like, I think LeBron is the best basketball player ever. Like, no, I think Michael, like, totally beat him. Like, you're, you're just, you know, you're stupid for thinking otherwise. Where you get, like, your favorite teams or your favorite players, and, like, you argue, like, you know I'm not a sports guy, guys. Come on, I'm trying here. But you have arguments, right? Uh, for the gamers among us, it's like Call of Duty versus Battlefield, and you get divided into these little teams based on what you like. Well, the Corinthians had done that um, but they'd done that like about preachers. And so some people in Corinth were like, I really like this Paul guy. I think he's legit, and I think he's the one we should follow. And some of them were like, well, you know, Peter's like the original rock, so that's where I'm building my house, right? And then other people were talking about this guy named Apollos, who didn't even write any books of the Bible, but apparently was very eloquent, and so people loved to hear him speak. And they, they would get in these arguments about who is the best church leader, something that was wrong. And so Paul wrote to them and basically said, snap out of it. Come to your senses. Like, we're all here to follow Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about Peter. It's not about Apollos. It's about Christ. And so he writes to them and tells them, you are wrong here. You're wrong. But he doesn't do it like out of frustration. He doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't look at the Corinthians thinking, man, these guys are idiots. You know, they're going to make me look bad. No, he does it because he's concerned. He's, he's witnessed this church grow and become beautiful and honor the Lord. And he sees division threatening to pull all that apart. Right? that family that we talked about God knitting together in the gospel, Paul's scared that it's going to be pulled apart by division, and so he admonishes them. You get that? So there's an example where they really are being wrong. Paul is direct about it. He's blunt about it. He doesn't cut any corners. He tells them directly that they're wrong and why they're wrong, but he does it out of a spirit of concern and love and gentleness not to serve himself, not to make his church better, not to make his ministry more famous, but because he loves them and he wants to see them grow.
pastors are responsible to admonish the church. We do it in preaching. We do it in one-on-one situations. And so those are the the responsibilities that we see. Pastors are responsible to, um, to admonish. We're responsible to govern and care for the congregation. And we're responsible to work hard as we labor among the church. Now we move into the second section. And we see the three responses that the church family are supposed to have. The first response we find right near the beginning of verse 12. That'll come up again. Verse 12. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. The first response of the church family is to respect their pastors. I acknowledge right now how hard this may be because I'm like the pastor standing up here. And it's like, oh, respect me, right? As best as I can, friends, this comes from God, not from me. So hear it as God's word, not Tony trying to get a fan club. I beg you. It says respect them. Respect your pastors. You may have a different translation that says something like acknowledge or appreciate or understand. This is kind of a hard word to know exactly how to translate into English because we have so many different words for similar concepts. But it comes down to this. The congregation, the family of God, is called to know our pastors, know who they are, to know what they do, and to to come to some kind of understanding of what that really means, right? So I could look out at some of you who are professionals in your field, like Tony is a photographer, and I can say I respect Tony as a photographer because I have some concept of what that means and what that takes, right? I can look at Tom, who's a history professor, and I can respect him in that field because I have some knowledge of like what that is and what that takes. Does that make sense? It's hard to respect someone if you don't, if it means nothing to you, right? And so it comes down to this, know who your pastors are, know what they do, and get some understanding so that at some point as you watch a pastor make a decision or give a teaching or lead in a certain way, the questions that used to be, why are they doing that, right, eventually becomes, oh, I get it, right? I understand who they are and what they do, and so their decisions maybe make a little bit more sense, even if I don't always agree with them, right? Because that's where the sticking point is. Even if you can't always agree, make it your, your quest to understand, at least. Because you can disagree with someone and still respect them. Does that make sense? Our marriages wouldn't work if that wasn't true. Right, guys? Know who they are. Know what they do. With knowledge and understanding comes respect. And so the congregation is called to respect their pastors. The second one we find in verse 13, verse 13a. It says this, esteem them. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so if the first one was to respect them, to have knowledge about them, the second one, esteem them here, is an even higher calling. 
If you have an NIV, it says, hold them in high regard. So you don't just respect your pastor, but you, in a sense, you look up to them. You think of them and their position as important in the church. You honor them and listen to them. That's what esteem means. It's hard to esteem someone that you hate, right? That you think is awful. And so the congregation is called the hold pastors in high regard. That means, that means high standards too. Do you know what I'm saying? If you hold someone in high regards, it's not just that you look up to them, but you do hold them to a high standard. And so there are some, um, this is a fearful thing for me, to, for me to say, like as a pastor, because I'm basically inviting you to like understand that my position is, is actually really of God important in the church, but I'm also inviting you to hold me to a higher standard than I would ever invite you to hold one another to, right? If I'm supposed to be leading the way, that means that I'm supposed to be leading the way in, in, like, in behavior and repentance and care. And that scares me to death, friends. Like, I want you to know that. Like, that scares me. Um, and so pastors are called by God to responsibilities. And we, in cooperation with them, are to esteem them. But we're to do so in love. This is important because the, the esteem here is not supposed to be a cold kind of respect or like legalistic obedience. You know, the kind that says, well, he's the pastor, so I just got to do whatever he says because he's got the title, right? We're not called to just legalistic obedience to pastors. We're called to esteem them, to think highly of them in love. We don't follow leaders in the church just because they're good leaders. We follow them because we love them and because we love the Lord and because we love our family. The whole relationship of me to you as your pastor, Karis, and you to me is supposed to be one of love. I can't do anything to lead you without love. And that has to be both ways. And we do this, we esteem them and we love them, again, not because they're just awesome, but because of their work. So we don't follow individuals because of their strong personalities. We don't follow individuals because they're, they're powerful talents. We follow our pastors because of the work that they do. Spiritual growth is important. Like the process that we all go through when we come to know Christ, sanctification, where we know him more and we love him more and we become more like him, is important. It's the most important thing in our lives. And so God has set some men aside to see to that, to help that. Pastors are called to be with us in the most important moments of our lives. They've been there at many of our births in helping our parents get through processes. They're there with us at our conversion when we first come to know Jesus. They're there with us at our marriages, you know, counseling us and performing the ceremony. 
And every time someone dies, if you're a part of a church, they're supposed to be there too. Like the most important parts of our lives, the hardest parts of our lives. Pastors are called to see the spiritual needs of the people. They're also with us in the mundane when we're bored, when we're going through a midlife crisis. They're with us when we succeed or when we fail. And all the while, they're called to see us with eyes of love and care and ambition for our growth. Um, If you have a pastor who isn't those things, um, I would say, number one, recognize that it's hard, especially if you're like me, you're bivocational, like I work a full-time job, and then I do this in my off hours. Like, know that even when I'm not with you, my heart is with you. Um, But if, if we detect none of the affection, none of the care, none of the concern that we see in these ideas in a pastor, there's a, there's a deep, horrible problem in the church. It just is. And so we're to esteem them because of their work. The last uh, responsibility is at the end of 13b. It gets its own sentence. It's a part of the same paragraph, so we know it's a continuation of the thought, though Paul will go on next week to expand on this, and that's what we'll cover. The third responsibility the congregation has is this. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. This is a quick point because it's a simple point. Be at peace. Don't work against your pastors. Like, don't set yourself up against them. And also, don't work against one another. Don't set yourself up against one another. Right? So one day you're out here and you're making coffee for everybody and someone comes up and takes a sip and says, this is the worst coffee ever, right? And it's not your fault because guess who buys the coffee? And sometimes I make bad choices, right? But now you've got the person who did the service and the person made a comment. And brothers and sisters, I have seen small, small comments off the cuff. Ugh, cough. what's wrong with this, right? Turn into years of stupidity between two people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters in the church. Some of you are giving me the look that like, you, people are coming to mind as I say this, right? We all have the capacity to do this because we're all selfish and we all get hurt and we all hold on to things way too long. And so the final responsibility is be at peace with one another. There are enough hard things in life to deal with in the family of God without that kind of stuff. Right? Life is dramatic enough without adding more drama. Okay. So let's get into a little bit of personal application for us as a church. This is easy this week. Um, Please, 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 please pray for me and for Rich. We're new at this. We are. We love you. Um, we're doing the best that we can with what we have. But we're new at this. And so I acknowledge right now that if I haven't already, I'm going to make a mistake with you guys. I'm awkward socially. I find this, getting up and speaking to a group, so much easier than speaking one-on-one with someone. And yeah, some of you are laughing because it's like, Tony, you were weird the first time I talked to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying. Um, if I, but if I haven't offended you already, 
Like, I'm going to someday, and I probably don't want to. And so I just ask you to pray for me that God would give me a heart to not be as obnoxious as I can be. Um, for Rich, um, to, to be against his weaknesses. And I just ask for your grace with us as we lead. We believe that God wants to do beautiful things in Karis, but we know that the relationship of us to you and you to us has to be healthy if our church is going to be healthy. And so please pray for us. Have grace with us. And know this, that whenever I sit in like a pastor meeting with Rich, um, we love you guys a lot. Like Rich and I have literally sat and wrung our hands over people in this congregation, not because they were doing something wrong, but because of the pain they were going through. Like, how do we help them? Like, we've, we've sat in Madison's, like, eating the soup of the day, you know, sometimes, which isn't all that great, and we just stop eating it because it's not that great that day, and, and we just, we just like, what are we going to do? How are we going to help them? How can we be there for them? We're only doing this because we love you. There's no money in it. There's not a lot of prestige in it. We just love you guys, and we love our city. And we know that God loves us and wants our best. And we want to do what we can as God's gifted us to be a part of that. Last thing that I would ask is that as we move into the future, that you would just have open hearts. Changes are coming in our church. Sometimes because we're on the way there, right? It's an intended change. And sometimes just because life gets crazy. Sometimes you don't have the music guy that you're used to. And we have a history in chorus of having team preaching, so it's not just one person, right? Sometimes you get really awesome counsel from your pastor, and sometimes there's no awesome counsel to give because it's just an awful situation, right? Have open hearts. I don't know exactly what the future holds for us, but I know that if we go together with God loving one another, serving him, being diligent to do what we're responsible to do, that he will do beautiful things in our church. So if you pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for the wisdom that's in your word and for the guidance that's in your word. Lord, you teach us in in your word that uh, we have wicked and deceitful and sick hearts. And we too easily run to selfishness, we too easily run to defensiveness, and we too easily just squander our lives in pursuit of pleasures and distractions. And yet you've loved us. In spite of all of that, you've loved us, and you've sent your son to die for us. And you've given us a family. Sure, it's a dysfunctional family, Lord, but it's one that you're working on and one that you love. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of that. We ask that you would be with us. I ask that you would be with me and Rich as we pastor this church. Um, Lord, you know that we need wisdom. We need strength um, as we labor and as we govern and care for and as we admonish. Lord, give us soft, gentle hearts towards this family that you've given us care over.
Lord, I ask that you would be with all of us as a congregation, that you would help us to respond to um, the leading that you give us, whether that's directly from your word, through a friend, or through one of our pastors. Lord, in all things, we just ask that you would help us to honor you, to grow in you, to praise you, to worship you, so that one day when we stand with you, we'll do so with a clean, pure heart, ready to worship forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.